1: Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're bringing you a special edition of the MarTech Podcast, specifically for the Inbound 2021 Conference. Joining us is Afua Aben, who is the Associate Professor and Department of Marketing Chair at Howard University, which is a federally charted historically black research university in Washington, D.C., with notable graduates that include Congressman Elijah Cummings, Nobel Laureate Tony Morrison, recording star Sean Puffy Combs, and the current Vice President of the United States of America, Kamala Harris. And today, Afua and I are going to discuss why marketers need to listen to black voices. All right, here's my conversation with Afua Aben, Associate Professor and Department of Marketing Chair at Howard University. Afua, welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Ben, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you about why marketers need to listen to Black Voices.
1: I'm excited to have you as my guest. I'm also excited to be chatting in front of the inbound 2021 conference crowd we're trying to do something that's a little unique and incorporating some audio into the conference experience and not only is this to me an interesting topic but an interesting format for us to deliver some marketing message and materials so uh, are you ready to do something new and exciting for the inbound crowd
2: Yes, I am. And hello to all of the 2021 Inbounders.
1: What's up, Inbounders? We're excited to chat with you. So look, we've got a lot to cover in terms of marketers, diversity, why Black voices need more attention. But I want to start off talking a little bit about you, who and what you teach at Howard University. Talk to me a little bit about the marketing program and what you're up to at work these days.
2: So like you said, I am the department chair. I've been in this role for two years. Before that, I was an assistant professor. Before that, I was a PhD student at University of Pittsburgh. And I came to Howard because I realized that I had an opportunity to shape and mold the brightest minds in the world and have a positive influence on their lives in that way. So I'm so excited to be here. We're doing a lot of innovative things specifically around hands-on and experiential learning. So, For instance, we participate in a university-wide program between Amazon Studios and Howard University, where our students get to go out to LA for a semester. They get to gain hands-on experience and knowledge related to the entertainment industry, and they also get to intern Within the department, we're also partnering with companies like Steve Madden to enhance our retail curriculum. Our students are actually going to be able to host a pop-up shop sponsored by Steve Madden. We're also launching a sales fellowship in conjunction with Vanguard, and we're doing all these other really exciting things to make sure that our students are as competitive as possible in the marketplace. I
1: love the idea of experiential learning because one of the things that helped me become a better marketer was actually working on marketing. And, and I already had a career in marketing, but I had to basically leave my job and start learning how to do things myself to become a more effective marketer. Sometimes you can't learn everything in a book. You have to get out there in the real world and learn how you want to become a marketer. One thing that I noticed you didn't mention as you were describing what you were doing and who you were working with, you said the brightest minds in the world, but Howard is a historically black college. So there is a, let's call it a a subset or a segment of the population who you are specifically focused on, black students primarily. Talk to me about how that makes teaching marketing different, focusing on a specific segment of the population as opposed to a more sort of universal and diverse
2: population? So a few things. Yes, I said the brightest minds in the world, and I want to stick to that.
1: I didn't disagree with you, for the record.
2: I know, I know, but I just want to clarify for the audience. I'm not saying the brightest Black minds in the world, but I'm saying the brightest minds in the world. I truly believe that our students can compete with any of the students across the world. And I feel like some of the world's greatest innovations are housed in our students' minds. But going back to your question, I still am amazed when I sit down and I watch TV and I see how whitewashed advertising is. And I sometimes will sit there and count the number of advertisements that I see that just have white people or white passing people. And I'm like, how do these companies expect to build relationships with people outside of these communities when they don't show them in their advertisements? And that's just one example of, I think, the challenges that we as marketers are facing. And even if you look at something like advertisements for eyedrops, drops, you'll see that most often, People with green and blue and hazel eyes are featured, but they are actually a disproportionately small percentage of our population. So I say all that to say, I think that we as marketers have to do a better job as it relates to inclusivity and actually making this inclusivity authentic. And from my standpoint as a professor, I have to communicate to students why their voices need to be heard, how through the skills that we are giving them and their lived experiences, they can enhance delivery of marketing assets, the stories that marketers tell, and ultimately positively impact the bottom lines for companies throughout the world.
1: You brought up an interesting point. You mentioned that the representation of diversity in advertising and in marketing is skewed. So, talk to me a little bit about the demographics that are not being represented. How are demographics in the United States changing? And why does that make minority voices underrepresented? And why should they be more important?
2: So, there are a few things I don't want to point out. The census recently released information showing that the U.S.'s population is changing significantly. We now know that sooner rather than later, white Americans will be the minority in the United States. But nevertheless, when you look at a lot of leadership positions, specifically in marketing and representation in marketing, you will see a disproportionately large number of white people. So think about the following, like 55% of black Americans are 34 and younger the median age of black America is 32. And that's compared to the median age of 38 for all Americans. So what this is telling us is that companies have a lot to gain from investing in relationships with black Americans, because these relationships are likely going to last longer than their relationships with other Americans. But more than anything, what we've noticed is that these black Americans are the culture tastemakers. They're the trendsetters, they are the innovators. And this is particularly true when we look at Gen Z. So I do want to just provide a little bit of information around Gen Z just to set the stage. So as many of us know, Gen Z is the largest generation at least in America to date, but it's also the most diverse generation with about 48% of all Gen Zers saying that they are ethnically or racially diverse. But within this group of consumers within this generation we have Black consumers that are wielding a disproportionately large amount of influence. A perfect example of this is when you think of the Black creators' boycott of TikTok. And that boycott coincided with the release of Megan Thee Stallion's song, Thought Shit, Excuse My Language, inbounders. But what we saw is that because these creators boycotted TikTok, that single didn't perform as well as it was expected to initially. It took a lot of time for this single to gain traction, and that trickled down to impact the bottom line. And so I want you all to understand that beyond simply being large in size and being younger than the average American, Black dollars wield a lot of spending power. Black buying power was $1.4 trillion in 2019 and is expected to grow to $1.8 trillion by 2024. And in addition, this growth is outpacing white buying power. So for example, between 2000 and 2018, black buying power rose by 114% compared to an 89% increase in white buying power. So, again, I'm sharing these numbers with you because I want you all to understand beyond the sheer number of Black people or Black voices that you have the ability to reach, there are financial implications of not building sincere and genuine relationships with this group.
1: There's so much to unpack there. I think if I had to summarize what you're saying is the change in demographics are not only relevant from just a total volume of heads perspective. More minorities make up the population of the United States now than ever before. And we're seeing that trend increasing to the point where white America will be a minority relative to the rest of the population, non-white America, relatively soon. You also mentioned the amount of buying power from the black community, $1.4 trillion, and that seems to be a larger growth opportunity for businesses than the white population as well. So what I'm hearing is, look, not only are there more people that you could sell to by incorporating diversity, specifically the black community, not only is that a population with increased spending power, but there's also the tastemaker thing. You mentioned an influencer community backlash. This is nothing new in American culture, black America being an important part of trend setting go back to the days of rhythm and blues and rock and roll you know elvis basically ripped off the blues and became the world's biggest rock star that's part of american history this is a trend that's happened before time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor mutinex in 1919 john wanamaker said half the money i spend on advertising is wasted i just don't know which half well the advertising landscape has changed since then Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost effective. Request a demo at Mutinex.co. That's M U T I N E X.co. Why are the influencers wielding so much weight and credibility when it comes to marketing these days? And why specifically does the Black community act and get involved in that space?
2: So like you said, this is nothing new. But what has changed is that you're seeing Black influencers specifically in Gen Z demand authentic relationships from companies. They want companies to invest in leveling the playing field and invest in creating equitable outcomes. Let's go back to the Megan Nostalgian example. To just provide a little more context, what was happening is that you had a lot of young Black Gen Z creators creating these dances that would go viral on TikTok, but then you had these talk show hosts inviting their white counterparts to perform these dances on TikTok. And what they realized is that hey, someone else is getting credit for our hard work. And they were like, we're not going to stand for it anymore. And so they banded together and they boycotted. And I think that boycotting it and just highlighting problems that companies are facing is so much easier in the face of social media because it makes it so much easier for people to connect with each other, to hear one another's voices. And with that in mind, I think it's also important to make sure that all inbounders know that Black people actually outpace the entire U.S. population in their use of mobile apps They spend more time on smartphones and tablets than the average person. And they use video, audio, and social networking sites disproportionately more than their counterparts. And so what you're seeing is that this already influential group of people is taking advantage of platforms that amplify their voices more. And not only are you seeing this amplification within the US, but a global amplification. So again, this is why it's critically important to pay attention to these black voices. Something else that I want to point out is while black people currently spend $1.4 trillion annually This does not take into account all of the countless industries that they're disrupting and the impact that they are having on the spending of other consumers. And so I want you all to understand that this $1.4 trillion is just a small piece of the pie. Think of it almost like a trickle effect. What we're seeing is that the way that Black people spend on pop culture, the way that they spend on women's fragrances, feminine hygiene, toiletries. Unprepared meat and seafood is spilling over and affecting so many consumers outside of theirs. And so this $1.4 trillion is simply a small sliver of the pie.
1: So there's a huge opportunity to focus on the Black community. It's a large growth opportunity. It seems like the other side of this coin, and this gets more into diversity and inclusion in general, and also kind of the, honestly, it's the part of this conversation that makes me feel a little nervous is that we live in cancel culture. And if you're not paying attention to diversity inclusion, if you're not incorporating everybody and being inclusive, people get pissed and then that starts negatively impacting your brand. People think of you in a different capacity It's a challenging balance to toe as a marketer of what you think is going to drive the bottom line and what's going to feel inclusive. How do you reconcile, you know, creating effective marketing and messaging for a targeted audience, but also including everyone and embracing diversity?
2: Well, I think that that's a really loaded question. I think the first and and clearest or most obvious answer is making sure that you have the right people at the table, making sure that the people you are trying to communicate with have positions at the table and they're represented at the table. So I think it's incumbent on HR to be more purposeful and thoughtful about how they hire and who they hire. Case in point, we're seeing far more companies that didn't recruit from Howard in the past now saying, hey, we need to have the Black voice at the table because this voice wields such incredible power. And so we're going to invest in providing these students with skills in the classrooms, and we're going to invest in actually hiring them. So I think that's an easy solve. But I think more than anything, companies really have to move from this idea of equality to actually equity. And what equity does is it tries to address it in Justin by asking the question, what resources do we need to provide to make sure that everyone is at the same point? It's rooted in this assumption that how we allocate money, how we allocate resources must change if we want to achieve equal outcomes. I think a perfect example of a company that pivoted and changed to adopt a more equitable outlook is Nordstrom's. So in response to George Floyd's killing, Nordstrom wrote a letter, they posted it on social media, and the letter was intended to communicate to Black and brown people across the world that Nordstrom hears your voices, Nordstrom sees your pain, and we sympathize with you. But in response to this letter, Nordstrom was actually called out by the 15% pledge, which challenged retailers to commit 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned businesses since Black people make up about 15% of the U.S. population. In this challenge, it was noted that only about 1% of Nordstrom's brands are from black and brown manufacturers. Instead of taking this challenge lightly, Nordstrom said, we're going to actually reconfigure our processes. We're going to take this criticism to heart and we're going to change what we're going to do. So they responded by saying, hey, we're going to make purposeful investments and purposefully allocate our resources to increase representation of black and Latinx populations in managers roles from a sourcing standpoint, from a distribution standpoint. And so what I want you all to understand is Nordstrom took this criticism, they saw how they were part of a problem, and then they leaned into opportunities to correct for this problem. And in doing so, they embraced this idea of making sure that there were equitable outcomes. So I would encourage all of the inbounders to do the same. Look at your company, look at opportunities where you see a lack of equity, where you see injustice. This may be a racial injustice. This may be gender injustice. This may be income injustice. There's so many different types of injustices, but be purposeful and strategic about how you're going to address this injustice. One last thing I'd like to add as it relates to this is that we like to say that DE&I controls all of our diversity-related issues. But if a company is really going to be committed to changing the face of the company, changing the way practices are done, there needs to be interfunctional coordination. There needs to be widespread investments across the organization to actually change the face of the company, to actually change practices to address these injustices.
1: I agree with what you're saying, that there should be more of an embracing culture in corporate America that considers diversity inclusion. It's not just an HR problem. But there's also this balance of social responsibility, social justice, corporate responsibility, and profitability goals. You use Nordstrom as an example of, well, we're going to change our marketing mix. We're going to have to source new vendors. We're going to put different products on our shelves. Those things all have cost. So how do you balance, I want to do the right thing, I want to you know, be a social justice warrior and be responsible with the corporation that I'm running in the position of power that I have, but I also got to focus on the bottom line. How do you reconcile the two of those?
2: So it's really a focus on the short term versus the long term. Again, let me set the stage. Remember I said that Gen Z is the largest generation to date. They spend more money than any other generation today. And they influence many of our decisions. Although most of Gen Zers aren't even 18, they're influencing more than 300 billion dollars a year. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I want to remind you all about Gen Z is that they're more diverse than previous generations, and this diversity is impacting their decisions. What do I mean by this? Rather than shopping, let's say based on convenience and immediacy, Gen Z is actually thoughtful about how they spend their money. They research companies and they look for companies that have shown a genuine interest in issues and ideas that are important to them. And guess what? Race is one of those issues, one of those high priority issues for Gen Z. And so I say all that to say, while over the short term, investing in leveling the playing field and becoming a more equitable company may cost you money. If you want to gain a piece of Gen Z's wallet and you want to build significant relationships with them, this investment is going to carry you in the long term. So I don't want you to just say, well, let's look at our performance in 2021 or 2022. But I want you to think of this idea of customer lifetime value. How much money can we get from Gen Z over their entire lifetimes? What do we need to do to convince Gen Z to buy from us and to encourage other people to buy from us as well? So this is why making these investments is so unfortunate.
1: This is the way to avoid becoming a corporate dinosaur is if you don't evolve with the changes in the buying behaviors, habits, the targets of the consumer, you're going to be left behind. Your target market is going to age themselves out of actually being in a target market. And we're seeing this happen with not only different product SKUs, but also different types of buying experiences. One that comes up to mind there's a company called The Vertical. And it's an e-commerce solution that specifically allows you to target the products that you buy based on some of the social causes. If you want to shop only black-owned businesses, if you want to shop only women-owned businesses, if you want to shop for sustainable products, it has the ability to allow you to basically filter by your social situation du jour And that's how Gen Z and even outside of Gen Z people in general are starting to shop as they're putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to social responsibility. So I guess the last question that I have for you is, you know, I understand the long-term value of including Black voices, including diversity. You avoid this sort of cancel culture thing that's happening by making sure that you're being inclusive. But there's guys like me, right? And I'll raise my hand self-proclaimed privileged white guy. I guess I am part of the establishment because of my skin color, because of where I was raised, because of the resources that I had through my family, and my background. That makes me part of the establishment. I'm not racist. I don't try to exclude anyone, but there are times when I feel like I am not part of the solution or like the finger is being pointed at people like me as part of the problem. So how do we become part of the solution and not get pointed out and highlighted as part of the problem?
2: So I think that the first step is to appreciate the privilege that you have experienced and how this privilege has in part influenced outcomes for you. So let's take you and I, Ben. Imagine we, we have the same job, same level of education, identical backgrounds, except for I'm Black and you're white. You have to appreciate the reality that when you go to a bank to borrow money, you are likely going to get a much more attractive interest rate than I am, simply based on this difference in our skin color. And so I think first is just acknowledging the reality that differences exist. And then I think the second thing is leaning into opportunities to actually be part of the solution. I don't think you can lean into these opportunities to be part of the solution if you fail to recognize that a problem exists. And so I think being thoughtful about the fact that you have a seat at the table and how can you bring other people to this table? How can you make sure that other people's voices are heard? How can you say, if I'm a CMO of a company, let me make sure that we have a multicultural research agency to make sure that we are capturing the voices of these black and brown consumers and we are actually authentically communicating with them. Why don't I invest resources in training the future Black and brown marketers so that when we put out an ad campaign, we can test it for social sensitivity within our own employees? And I think what you're seeing is so many companies have tried to do the same thing for years, but they're failing. I think of Gucci coming out with the blackface sweater. And I think H&M came out with something as well.
1: Gucci came out with a blackface sweater?
2: Yes, I think the sweater had a picture of someone who looked like they were dressed for a menstrual show or something like that.
1: That seems like a terrible idea.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) And that's what my friends and I said. And we were like, clearly there was no black voice at the table because this would have been an easy call out. And there was all of this backlash on social media. I'm like, this is something, for lack of better words, that is not rocket science. But when you don't have the right people at the table, who understand cultural context, or who have a unique lived experience that is impacted by your decisions, there's no way for you to make decisions that resonate with them. And you will struggle and continue to struggle to maximize lifetime value from these customers. And I think that it is lazy for companies to say there aren't qualified Black and brown people out there, because that has been proven wrong. You have to be very thoughtful in sourcing these black and brown people. You have to actually recruit from the institutions that serve them. And you have to be willing, quite frankly, to knock down your biases. I think also you have to be open to the fact that you're bringing these people to the table because they're different from you. So when they have a different perspective from you, lean into it, embrace it. Don't challenge it just because it's not your perspective based on your lived experience.
1: You know, for these conversations can be really difficult what I appreciate the most about you having this conversation is how you've been able to help me feel more comfortable in talking about this and that, you know, recognizing some of the institutional biases that are there is the beginning of the solution. And then it comes down to taking actions. At the end of the day, you need diverse seats at the table when you're making your decisions. Afua, you can have a seat at my table anytime.
2: <laughs> thank you, Ben.
1: All right. So inbounders, thank you so much for listening to this conversation conversation that wraps up this episode of the martech podcast we hope you have a great time at the conference we hope you enjoy the rest of the show thank you to hubspot who's a sponsor of the martech podcast we're a member of the hubspot podcast network for helping connect afua and i a special thanks to afua aben the associate professor and department of marketing chair at howard university for joining me if you'd like to learn more about Afua, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her university's handle is Howard, U-H-O-W-A-R-D, the letter U. Or you can visit their website, which is howard.edu.